Um, God did not give me the word that he wanted me to speak until Friday morning. Uh, so it's really fresh in my mind. Um, but it was one of those deals that my dad's told me it happens to him all the time, that you sit down and you start thinking about stuff and you're going, you know, let's try this. No, this isn't going to work. Okay, let's try this. No, that's not going to work. And you just keep scrapping ideas. And apparently that's normal. Um, I, you know, I've asked a couple of people that I know that speak normally, and that's a, a normal thing. So I don't feel nearly as bad. Um, but anyway, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the Word this morning. So if you will, just bow your heads. Father God, I thank you so much for all that you've given me, the opportunities that you've given me. God, I spent so long in the opposite direction that you finally brought me back in. And Lord, you gave me a direction. And Father, as we've been talking this year about risking more faith, as we've talked this year about giving more to you, Father, and risking more of our resources and our time and our, our courage, uh, Father, I just pray that this morning, whoever this word that you gave me is for, that you would just open their hearts, open everybody's hearts. But Father, I know this is for somebody because I got that perfect Holy Spirit feeling as soon as the, the, the idea was put into my mind. So Lord, I just pray that you make us receptive, that you make them receptive. God, I, I give this service to you 100%. God, because I, I can do nothing apart from you. I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy who got lucky and ended up in some pretty good circumstances through a bunch of junk. Father, you have made me so much more than I deserve to be and that I really am. And God, I thank you for that. So this morning, Father, I just pray you let me hide behind the cross and that your Holy Spirit just comes in like a wrecking ball and it just envelops everybody in this room. Lord, I thank you for everything that you do and everything that you are. And I just ask you to be with us in this service. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to go ahead and open up the scripture to, uh, to, to Genesis chapter 6. And uh, if you'll go ahead and turn there if you've got your Bibles. Josh was trying to prepare the slides and get everything ready for me to do this morning. He said, so you have, do you have any notes or bullet heads or specific verses you want to concentrate? And I said, chapter 6. And he said, what part of chapter 6? And I said, chapter 6. <laughs> so we're going to dance a lot through chapter 6 this morning. So it, it's one of those deals that you're just going to have to kind of follow me and hope that I remember to tell you the verse that we're in. If not, you're just going to take my word for it and look it up later. Um, but, but when I was thinking about what it was that I needed to speak about or what it was that God wanted me to speak about, you know, I, I went through four or five ideas and I said, you know, honestly, God, I really just want to try to stay on track with what Pastor Sam has been teaching. Because his vision, ever since Vision Sunday, was to risk more faith. And I'm thinking, man, I'm having a hard time figuring that out in my own life. Like, I'm trying really hard, and I'm just, I'm still looking for the starting point in risking more of my faith to give more to you. Lord, I'm going to have a hard time figuring out a sermon to preach on that when I don't even fully grasp it myself. And guys, God showed up and was God for a couple minutes, and that's all it took. Because... I have been trying to figure out where to start with risking more faith in my life. I have been trying to lay out a plan for my wife and my children in my life to be able to be more involved and do more for God. And, you know, I try. I give as much as I can, but I know that there's still just a ton of me that I'm not willing to give up, that I'm holding back. And so, you know, when I started thinking about the intricacies of people's lives and how there's no two people in this room that live the exact same life. Because even if you're a married couple and you have the exact same, you know, day-to-day life with each other, you're still not doing the exact same stuff. I mean, everybody's job is different. Everybody's, you know, thought processes are different. So 
there's no one golden rule for where to start risking more faith in your life. It has to be something that you figure out on your own. And I know that that can be difficult and scary. And you've got to find that starting point. So the more I thought about that and the more I realized that, God, I'm going to have to have some serious help to be able to figure out the direction that you want us to go as a student ministry at Northside, as a church at Northside, as a worship team at Northside, and all the things that God's blessed me to be involved in at this church, that I told him, I said, God, we're going to have to draw a line in the sand, and, and you're just going to have to show me how to get past it and show me what's on the other side of that line. And so as I prayed and I sat, and, you know, I just, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm holding my Bible, and, and I'm... I'm thinking, well, you know, I, gotta, I just recently reactivated my iPhone. I've been so happy, y'all. I've been without my iPhone for forever, and it has been like heaven to have my iPhone back. But what I didn't realize is the same phone that I had before it broke, and I got it fixed recently, but all of my old notes that I had taught to the teenagers a year ago, like there's like six months' worth of notes in there, and I'm browsing through them like, you know what, I'm just going to cheat. Because I'm not getting anything. I'm just going to go back to one of my old sermons that I taught the youth. And I'm just going to use that. And I found one on Jonah. And I was like, yeah, I could do Jonah. That would be a good one. But it doesn't really tag into what God was, what, what, God, what Pastor Stan is teaching us and going through with us. And for some odd reason, Jonah led to Noah. And I said, whoa. Now that, that's a story that's worth retelling. So first off, I'm going to give you guys... The thought that comes to my mind when I think about Noah and the ark, and it's great because I asked the kids this morning when we did Sunday school, and uh, I, I looked, at them, looked at them and I said, let me ask you a question. When you think of Noah and the ark, me, having been a church kid all my life, I've raised in church, and, and I've been in Sunday school, and I've been in children's church, and I've been in vacation Bible schools so all my life. I've heard these stories, and I'm going, what's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Noah and the ark? And I'll be honest with you, it's the precious moments kids standing on the boat just waving like, hey guys. You remember Precious Moments? Like, had really big heads and really big eyes, and they always make you sad when you look at them? Uh, Well, they may not make you sad. I think they're a little too precious, personally. It's like a sack full of puppies that are crying. But regardless, you know, I always get the picture of this big, cartoony boat with these people on, and they're just, hey, you know. And nobody takes into account that there were lots of dead people that weren't on that boat. And so, you know, I start start digging into this story, and, and I start thinking about... What Noah really did, what Noah really accomplished, and there was a lot of scripture in Genesis chapter 6 that I never even glanced at before that I just took on faith because, well, precious moments, kids were always standing there waving with the happy giraffes, you know, that were sticking up on both sides to make it symmetrical. And anyway, that's what I always saw. But there's a very, very different story. And uh, I'd given thought to show in the trailer, a lot of you guys probably already know, but there's a new movie coming out pretty soon with Russell Crowe and a handful of other popular actors called Noah. And it's supposedly the story of this, but I didn't want to show the trailer because I'm not 100% sure how accurate the movie is going to be. Hollywood gets things kind of sketchy sometimes, so I was questionable there. But the movie looks great from the two-minute trailer that you get, and it really got my mind to thinking, so I decided, let's just do some digging and try to get some more information on this whole flood thing and, and on Noah himself as a person because... As we're going to see this morning, there aren't a whole lot of people in the Bible that risked more faith than Noah did. And we don't think about that because all we think about is, you know, the guy with the beard and the big eyes that waves at everybody on his boat. So we're going to, we're going to dig into that a little bit more this morning. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to start in chapter, or chapter 6, verse 5. And if you will, open your Bibles and turn to verse 5. Now, before we read this verse, I don't want anybody to get scared. 
Because the first thing that happened to me when I read this verse was like, man, I hope that never happens again. (laughs) And at the end of the whole story, God promises that he'll never do that again. So, you know, you can rest easy there. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and I'm reading out the NLT, I apologize. I, I read out of it because it simplifies things for me and the teenagers, mostly for me. So that's the translation that I usually teach out of. But it says, starting in verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on earth, and it broke his heart. Now, I want you to keep that last statement in mind while we go on this next little journey that's not going to seem like it's going to match up, but I promise you I'll bring it together. Because right there at the end of that verse it says, it broke his heart. Now, something I asked in Sunday school also this morning that the kids were throwing out numbers is, does anybody have any idea how, how and, and by the way, there's no appropriate answer for this because science hasn't been able to determine it. The Bible doesn't distinguish it, so we don't know exactly. But a roundabout number of how many people were on the earth at the time of the flood. Because the first thing I think of when I start reading is, oh, there's probably, you know, 10, 20,000, maybe 40, 45,000. And then I start, like, taking into account the numbers that I'm reading. I'm going, these people are living like an average of 900 years. By the way, I would never, ever want to live that long. That is just ridiculous. But these people are living an average of 900 years. They're having an average of between four and eight kids apiece. And in case you want to plug a number in, there was roughly 615 years, or 1,650 years, excuse me, between the time of Adam and the time of the flood. So you start bouncing those numbers around in your head. Okay, these people are living a millennium. We've got a millennium and a half. Most of these people are probably still alive, and they've had like eight kids, and their kids have had kids, and those kids have had kids, and more kids, and wham, you wind up with a colony of bunnies. So there's just this astronomical amount of people. Okay, so I was asking the kids this morning, I'm saying, what, what's a ballpark number that you would plug into thinking that? And, you know, I got answers everywhere from, I think, uh, 2 million to 11 million, somewhere, you know, in between. There's a, a theory now, bear in mind, this is a theory. It's not a guaranteed number. So please don't come and, like, beat me up because this number is way out of the ballpark when you get done with service because this is just something that I had read, and I dug for a while to find this. It guesstimates, science, guesstimates between 8 and 11 billion people were on the planet. Okay, that's almost twice as many as are on the planet now. So if we even cut science in half and say they were just completely 50% wrong. Oh, completely, that even makes sense. Okay, say they were half wrong, okay? And there were only 4 billion people on the planet. That's still 4 billion people, which is only 2 billion shy of what's on the planet right now. Now, let's go back to verse 5 and let's think about what that said. Okay, with the number 5 billion in your head, Think about how many wicked people it takes for God to say, I'm sorry I even made you guys. I mean, that had to be a really, really difficult world to live in. So God says that it broke his heart where his, his people that he had designed personally, himself and his old image, had degenerated to in less than 2,000 years. So... You know, God's getting pretty perturbed about all this. And then you got this one guy, Noah. And the Bible says that Noah was the only good man on the planet. And he walked with God daily. 
Now, I don't know that that means a physical representation of God. I don't think it does. I think that it was uh, very similar to the Old Testament relationship that people had with God, which was probably a little more proactive than we feel now, but it was a different society. But regardless, how many of us, and, and just by show of hands, how many of us have heard somebody try to make you feel better by saying, man, you're one in a million? Most of us have heard that at some point in our life. This guy was one in eight billion, okay? He was one godly man in eight billion people. All right, so now that you know that, let's think about something here. Because as Christians today, we come to church every Sunday to get refilled, right? We've got godly friends and, and, and family members that, uh, for the most part, we rely on to interact with. Even if you've just one, got that one Christian friend that never lets you, you know, get far past the bandwagon, and you're just going, God, this guy is just preaching to me all the time. And I've been that friend to people, by the way, and, and I'm sorry. But regardless, you know, we don't have that, that refill, or we do have that refill, excuse me, that we get every single week by coming to church. We've got people that hold us accountable to our actions, okay? For me personally, you know, I don't, I don't go out and just start doing insane stuff because I've got an entire student group that I'm accountable to that, that look to me as... I guess, a a mentor of sorts. And so that keeps me accountable. Noah didn't have that. Noah was literally one white speck in a gigantic black picture. Okay? He didn't have a church to go to every Sunday. He didn't have, you know, Christian friends that came over to his house and they sat around and talked about, you know, the Bible and about things. I mean, there wasn't even a Bible at that point. But they didn't talk about this stuff. You know, he was literally on his own. It was just him and God. And so, we see that picture of Noah, and then, you know, verse 14 comes along. And in verse 14, and I'm not going to read it specifically because then it gets into the measurements and all, but, but God basically tells Noah, he says, hey, Noah, you know, I'm kind of upset with humanity because you're like the only good dude amongst them. Everybody else is just really irritating me. They're doing all this dumb stuff that they have no business doing, and they should know better so I'm going to need you to build a boat. Huh? I'm going to need you to build a boat because you and your family are going to be the only people that survive this because I'm just ready to wipe the board. We're going to just knock all the chess pieces off the board. We're going to take you. We're going to stick you back in the chess box, and we're going to wipe the board clean and start over. And you know what Noah says? Okay. Now, I want us to just appreciate the astronomical amount of faith it takes for a man to hear God say, I'm going to get you to build a boat, you're going to get on it, and then I'm going to kill everybody else. Because honestly, that terrifies me. If God spoke to me audibly right now and said, Brandon, I need you to go start building a boat in your backyard, I'd be calling Stan like, Stan, I might need to get committed. I'm scared. Noah just goes, okay. Okay, let's do it. Now, another number that gets plugged into this that's really interesting is how long it took to build the ark. And before we get into that number, it was Noah and his three sons. Okay? He's got three kids, three boys, and they're all married. They all have have, have wives. But Noah and his three sons, so four guys, are going to build this Titanic-sized boat out of wood. And it took them 120 years to make it. 120 years. Which is longer than most, of our, most people on Earth's now's lifetime. But 
But back then it was a shot in the bucket because they lived to like 900 years old. Okay, so 120 years it was going to take to build this boat. Now, now that you know that, after uh, Adam and Eve got cast out of the Garden of Eden, God cursed the earth. And he said, okay, it's not going to be easy for you guys to make food. You're going to have to farm. You're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to bust hump to be able to get out here and to provide your own food for yourself so you can sustain your family. Okay? It's not going to be easy. Noah was a farmer and a shipbuilder for 120 years. This guy was killing himself all day, working in the the fields, farming up food, trying to make enough for his family to get by, because it's Noah and his, his sons providing for this family, okay? He's making enough to get by, and then in the evenings, he's, y'all, look, before my son got here, my son's three now, before he got here, we decided that we were going to completely renovate my house, okay? So my dad and I decided, well, we're going to try to do the bulk of the work ourselves so that we can cut down on costs. And I have a very, very small home. Anybody that's been there knows. My house is not big. Three months, we moved into my mom and dad's house. We gutted the house. And me and my dad, every afternoon after work, would go over there and work. So I spent three months getting up, going to work in the morning, getting off work, going to my house and working, getting out of my house, going to my mom and dad's house, eating dinner, going to bed, getting up and doing it again. On Saturdays, we got up and worked at the house all day. On Sundays, we got up, we came to church, we got off work, off church, we went home, we rested a little bit. That was it. That was three months of my life. And it killed me. 120 years that he did this every day with absolutely no insight that this was actually going to happen and that he wasn't just loony and that God wasn't actually telling this stuff because there was 7.9 billion other people telling him he was nuts. Noah, you're hearing things, dude. Why are you wasting your time? You're building this gigantic ark, and it's such a waste of energy. But he just keeps on building, and he keeps on going. And I just really think we need to take a second to appreciate what kind of faith that took. I think we need to take a second to appreciate how much of his personal faith he risked. Because what would have happened if he was wrong? What would have happened? Do you not think that that popped up in his head a couple of times? What's going to happen if I get to the end of this and this boat just sits here for the next 880 years? Or we'll say 700 and some odd years. Anyway, you know, this boat just sits here for forever because I built it for no reason. You know, i got to admit, as a human, I'd have been thinking that. There have been days that went by that I'm going, why, why do I even bother? But Noah didn't do that. Noah walked and spoke with God daily, and he risked an astronomical amount of faith to go build a boat for an apocalypse-level event that he wasn't even completely sure was going to happen. That's inspiring. And I never looked at it until now. Well, two days ago, three days ago, somewhere in there. Never. So, you know, not only did it take extreme faith in order for Noah to build this boat and keep building this boat and keep working at what he felt God was leading him to do. Not only that, but when it was all said and done with, God told him, all right, I'm going to need you to bring some animals on the boat with you. And I've speculated with a friend that there was a strong possibility that a lot of animals were babies. Okay, But I want to draw your attention to verse 20, chapter 6, verse 20. And um, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump over the page. But in in verse 20, 
It says pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurried along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. Now, you know, these animals didn't start coming along until obviously at the latter part of the process because you're not going to keep animals around for 120 years. But I've spoken with a friend of mine and, and there's speculation that these animals were babies, that that was how they fit them all into the ark because they were small and compact and you could fit them all into the ark, okay? But in that verse, it says that the animals came to him, okay? So in my mind, I may be completely off base, but I'm probably thinking that there were quite a few full-grown animals. I would think there would need to be at least, you know, a couple. So with that in mind, how much faith would it take for you to take your wife and family on a boat Completely confined with bears and tigers, and you can get mad at me later, but dinosaurs, you know, giant lizards, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, these creatures that God has created that are wild, okay? We haven't started taming animals yet on a regular basis. We don't have, you know, uh, uh, house alligators or, or the bears in the backyard. You know, these are wild animals that God has led up to the, the, this place to file into this boat and, I mean, granted, yeah, they're in stalls, but you're not going to make me sleep next to the stall with a grizzly bear in it, and I'm be, me be okay with it. It's just not going to happen. I don't mess with wildlife. I'm, I'm not that kind of, 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 you know, guy. So, to me, if, if you were to tell me, look, Brandon, we're going to put you on a boat, you and your, your three-year-old son and your four-month, five-month-olds today, five-month-old daughter and your wife, we're going to put you on a boat with a bunch of wild animals... I'm not getting on the boat unless I absolutely have to. But Noah says, okay, bring them on. And then he had to gather food for all these animals. Now, that was a lot of animals. Not nearly as many as you would think, because back then there weren't as many species of different kind of animals. There weren't the mixes of the breeds and this, that, and the other. So, I mean, you had generic brand animals for the most part. You know, big cats, big dogs, big bears... Lots of things to kill you, but they didn't have all the different colors, okay? For the most part, it was a smaller number of animals. I really didn't think that was as funny as apparently it came out, but I apologize. Anyway, but you had, you know, generic animals. But there were still lots of animals. And he had to have food to support all these animals. He had to have food to support his family. He had to have food to sustain them after they got out. Because I'm thinking it was probably hard to round up food after the wife has, I mean, the world has been annihilated by water, you know. So they had to probably store up for a little while until the earth was, you know, workable again. So he's put a lot of work into this thing that he has no guarantee is going to happen yet. And then the water comes. And thank God that he made the decision that he did. But... I think the long and short of what we're trying to get out this morning is that, that Noah was a man of extreme faith. But he was also a man who was willing to risk his personal time, his personal resources, his family, his sanity, or at least as it applied to other people. Noah was willing to risk all this stuff in order to please God. And guys, I got news for you. The fact that we're in this building today is thanks to that. Because everybody else died. We come from him somewhere down the line. Okay? If he wouldn't have got on that boat and he would have died too, wouldn't none of us be here right now. So, 
We can say that Noah had the most extreme faith ever because it took him to continue the human generations, the human, the human species. So let me ask you this. As we use Noah as a picture, an example that God's given us in the past for what it means to risk extreme faith and to go out on a limb when we might not be too sure about it, can we take certain aspects of what Noah did and who Noah was and start applying it into our personal lives? So that when we're looking around and we're saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not totally sure where God's going with this. You know, I mean, I know God wants me to do things, but I'm not totally sure that, that this is where I need to start. You know, number one, I feel that God's going to provide the answer for us one way or another if we seek after Him. Okay, if we continue to seek God and we continue to ask Him, Lord, what is it that you want me to give you? What is it you want me to risk for you so that I can be of more use to your body? Okay, if we continue to seek after that, God's going to give us the answer. I know this because it happens in my life all the time, and I thank God for it. This message is an example of me having to seek after God and ask Him for wisdom because I didn't have a clue. And guys, anybody that knows me very well knows that's a pretty standard issue for me. Not having a clue happens a lot. And I apologize for that. But God's been able to use me. And he's used me because I do my best to seek after what he's asked me to do. And I fail miserably so often. There are so many scenarios in my life that I really should give to God. And I'm going, okay, Brandon, you've got to figure this out. And, I mean, work is a perfect scenario. I don't give God my work life as much as I, I should. I don't even think that God should be involved in my work. I don't think God wanted to be involved in my work because it's a miserable business. But the fact of the matter is that I should give God those opportunities to guide me in my work life. If I want to be successful, God's going to take care of that. Not Brandon. My home life with my wife and my kids, every man in this room needs to step up to the plate and start giving God more authority there, myself included. I am 100% preaching to myself at this point because we're supposed to be the ones that guide our family in the ways of God. And if we're not seeking after Him and risking our faith to give Him the opportunity to guide us in our life, then our families are going to follow suit. And it's just messing the United States and the rest of the world up. And that's our fault. I mean, we just got to take that one on the shoulders. We're not risking enough faith. We're not aiming in the right direction because we're sitting back trying to figure out the answers on our own. Noah didn't sit back and try to figure out the answers on his own. He let God figure it out for him. Because I'm telling you, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that nobody had ever built a boat that big. Okay? So clearly he wasn't going by blueprints. Clearly he wasn't reading a piece of paper that said, all right, cut this board off at 75 inches with your rock. You know, like... (laughs) Just... It blows my mind to see what God could do when somebody just actually steps up the plate and says, all right, God, do it. Because I'm done trying to figure it out on my own. Guys, why can't we just do that? We're stepping around in circles saying, all right, God, I know Pastor Sam wants us to risk more faith, but I don't know where to start. And the longer that I don't know where to start, the easier it is for me. Because there's some things that hold us back from doing what it is that God has called this church to do. Number one is we're scared. I get scared. If I was standing in the quickie mart and God says, Brandon, go over there and talk to that gigantic guy with the spikes around his neck, I'm going to go, mm-mm, he's scary. Okay? Now, I'm, I, 
I really hope I never get put in that scenario. But if I did, I will honestly say that I would do everything within my power to follow what God was telling me to do. But guys, I'd be scared. I would be. And don't you lie to me and tell me you wouldn't be. So the truth of the matter is that fear is a huge, huge obstacle for us to risk more faith. Number two is because we don't trust God enough to warrant the fact that he's going to provide for us. We're going to say, well, I'm just going to give you my resources. Um, or or I'm, I can't give you my resources because I just don't know that I've got enough to provide. I don't know that I'm going to be able to hold it together. Another perfect example that we can get from Noah. Because this guy was doing everything he could just to farm in fertile soil to provide for his family. And then God throws, hey, go build a gigantic boat with your rocks on top of it. And then he did that for 120 years. You know, it's like, can you imagine folks coming by to hang out at Noah's house for the weekend? They're like, what you building? Boat. <laughs> How's that coming? Good. What are you cutting it with? Rocks. <laughs> like, I, I, I just, I cannot in my head imagine what kind of... It just, it blows my mind, guys. My mind, honestly. I just have to stay a step back. And say, man, this is the guy that, that he was doing everything he could to provide to begin with. And then you threw something else even farther on top of it. That's risking faith. Okay? And then the next thing that we look into is, and this is a very, very American habit. Okay? I'm an American, so I don't feel like I'm offending anybody by saying this. But the truth of the matter is that us not wanting to give up our time is a very, very American thing to do. Okay, and I'm sorry, it's just what we've come to. We'd rather, like Pastor Stan has said before, we'd rather sit at home and play on our games or play on Facebook or, heck, even read some random book that we don't really have to read instead of getting in the Word, instead of getting out of the seat and going to church like we should be. You know, we have an obligation to this, this body of believers. We have an obligation to be here and to continue, God, to continue God's work, but we're really, really selfish with our time. I am. Guys, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of weeks that I don't want to get up and go to church on Wednesday night. I'm being honest with you. And I teach. I don't have a whole lot of options. But that's that accountability we were talking about earlier. But I'm being honest. There's lots of times when I'm saying, man, I had a long day at work. I'm tired. I feel beat up. I feel like I got into a fight with a Mack truck and it won. And I just don't want to go to church tonight. Now, most of the time, thank God, I still do. I still get up and I go because I have a responsibility. But... You know, we do have a tendency to be really selfish with our time. So, excuse me. So with those three things in mind, you know, Noah turns out to be a pretty impressive picture of what we're being called to do as a body of believers. Because he risked his time. He was more than willing to do that. He wasn't selfish in his, you know spending all this time working the fields or whatever it was that he had to operate with. He wasn't selfish with that. Gave God his time. He wasn't cowardly because there was 7.9 billion other people on the planet that could have been mocking him and could have been walking by daily. Um, there's actually one point in the... Uh, man, I, I'll get chills just thinking about it. There's one point in the trailer. I do encourage you to look up, uh, get, get on YouTube or whatever. I use an app called IMDB that brings up a bunch of movies as they're coming out. That's where I saw the trailer uh, to the Noah movie that was coming out. There's one part in the trailer that's really, really awe-inspiring because Russell Crowe's standing there 
and he's all Noah and stuff, you know. And these people are walking by, and they're like, you're crazy. This is insanity. What are you even thinking? You know, you're going to give us all those resources, and you're going to do this, that. And he says, uh, he, says he, he basically puts his foot down. I can't quote it word for word, but he puts his foot down, and he says, no, my God will provide. My God will protect me. And I'm going, like I watched the trailer three or four times in a row just for that one part because I'd get chills every single time I saw it. Okay? That's, there's, there's no cowardice in this man. There can't be. I, you can't convince me that this man was letting anybody see fear. Now, I'm not going to tell you he didn't have some in his heart. I'm not going to tell you that he wasn't nervous and he wasn't worried about what he was doing, but he didn't show it to anybody else. He kept going. So, fear wasn't an issue. Time wasn't an issue. Resources, we've already been through that. We've already looked at what Noah was willing to give up. Guys, how long do you think it took to go out and cut enough wood to build a gigantic boat? I mean, it's probably like three square miles of forest that he just goes out and chops down. And like if you had an aerial view, there's probably just like one big little square or circle right there in the middle of this dense forest where he's just hauling lumber out. Okay, this is his land that he's staked in the name of Noah. And these are his resources and his fields and his forests and his... Water or whatever, you know, all this stuff was his. And he's just chopping it down, building this boat, gigantic lawn ornament, you know, for all he knows. He's just, he's going to town on it. He risked a lot of resources. Because I can guarantee you that nobody sitting in these pews today would want to fund building, building a, a boat that big. Especially not with today's lumber prices. But the fact of the matter is that no one was willing to step up to the plate and risk all three. But guys... With all that said, and with all that to inspire us, okay, there's one key fact that I want us to remember here. There's one thing, if nothing else, that I want you to take home today. And that is the fact that Noah did it with just Noah and God. He didn't have a pastor stand to call when he was concerned about something. He didn't have good friends that he could just go to their house and sit down and talk to them about Jesus stuff. It was just Noah and God. I mean, clearly he had the support of his family. That's a given. But guys, he's in a literal hole of sin. Okay? Because nobody else around him is doing the same thing that he's doing. Everybody's doing the polar opposite of what he's doing. It was just Noah and God. So let's make this applicable to today for you and me. How many days do you wake up and you just feel like there's a wall in between you and God? You feel like... I, just, I need some help because this is not working out for me. This is just things are getting bad. You know, my finances are going to smithereens. My time is being absorbed by all the stuff that I'm doing and not making enough money at. My, you know, my resources just feel like they're flying out the window. I don't have anything to draw from. I have no idea what to do. I want you to think about Noah because God stepped up and took care of business, regardless as to whether Noah could handle it or not. He just said, hey, Noah, don't worry. I got this. I'm going to tell you how to do this. I'm going to give you the specs to build a gigantic ship. I'm just going to download them right in your brain. Okay, because, I mean, he had to draw it out and figure it out somehow. Noah wasn't an architect. He wasn't an engineer. He was a farmer. But he figured out how to build that boat somehow. God is how. And God is how we can figure out where to make the first step. 
God is how we can figure out where we need to go next. And God is the one that is the perfect architect that can build anything in our life that we need to fix. I've got problems with people. God can fix that. My marriage is in shambles. God can fix that. I'm about to go bankrupt. God can and will fix that. But you've got to have enough faith to let him. Because if you're sitting there questioning whether or not God can do it, he's not going to take care of it. Faith, or without faith, it is impossible to please him. And if we're not living in faith, risking faith, our time, resources, and our courage... And there's a dozen other things, but those are the backbone of it. If we're not willing to risk those things and give them to God, then it's really difficult for him to, to bless it. I've given the example to kids uh, you know, on Wednesday nights that the, the relationship that you have with God is kind of like your best friend. You know? You've got best friends that come into your life and they stay there regardless as to how old you are. You know that buddy that you had that you were six years old and you did everything together and you may not talk to him every day anymore, but you still keep in touch through Facebook or text or whatever. God is like that guy, okay? Because if you're in touch with God and you're spending time with God every single day, that relationship's strong, okay? But then as things start to grow apart and things start to happen and you kind of diverge and go into a different direction, you're not talking to God as often. You show up on Sundays... You know, you, you, you throw your hands in the air a little bit, but for the most part, it's just, okay, I went to church, I did my Christianly duty, but the, the gap just keeps getting wider. And you start talking to him once a week or once a month, or you show up every Christmas and that's about it. God's not going to bless that, guys. I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell you you're not going to die and go to heaven, but the fact of the matter is God's not going to bless that. God's going to bless extreme faith. God's going to bless radical people, Okay? God's going to bless people that everybody else thinks is crazy. <laughs> I've said this a million times, but you can find anybody, anybody. Matter of fact, Justin Davis has done it. Find anybody that knew me in high school or knew me right out of high school, and you walk up to them and tell them I'm a youth pastor and see what reaction you get. It's going to be great. Okay? Justin did it. He came up to me, and the youth pastor at the church that they were at before, uh, he, he was a friend of mine in high school, and, y'all, I was I was crazy in high school, and he told him, he's like, well, where have you been, you know, visiting? And he said, at Northside Bible Church, Brandon Eastell's nephew, and he said, who? I went to, no, I went to school with a guy named Brandon Eastell, but it can't be the same Brandon Eastell. He goes, no, he, he, he knows you, he knew your name when I mentioned it. Huh? <laughs> Guys, God can do a radical work if you're willing to be radical. And everybody else around you might think, There's no way. Everybody else might cast doubts. Everybody else might say, there's no way it's going to happen. Give up. This is fruitless and it's never going to amount to anything. But if you're radical and you have extreme faith and you're willing to go in that direction on what God says and not what man says, He will bless it. Proof. Period. That's the end of the book. Done deal. So I challenge you, in the days to come, there are some things that this body of believers can do that can show extreme faith and can take some serious strides in God's work. Number one, start inviting people to church. Don't go out and find people to go to other churches and steal them away. That's not what I'm asking you to do. If they're unhappy where they're at, that's fine. Bring them here. We'll love on them. But if they're happy where they're at, don't go steal other people from other church. Go out and find lost people. Go out and find... I want everybody in this room that has a lost friend that they know doesn't go to church but they're friends with to raise their hand. 
Why haven't you invited them here? And I'm not trying to get mean with you because I do it too. I've got lots of friends that I should invite to church and try to get here. There could be four pews full of people that I should be inviting to church. But you know what? That's me telling God, all right, Lord, I've got to find the starting point. You've got to show me. Guys, this is our starting point. Start inviting folks to church. Get them here. Get, them, get God in them, and he'll do the rest. Period. Number two, we've got to give more of our time. Because, guys, there's a ton of stuff that needs doing around this church that, that we're accountable for. And the board is really trying to overhaul that stuff. But, you know, I need to be up here. Y'all need to be up here. We need to be up here working and trying to further this building so that we can further this body. Okay? There are a lot of things that we can do. There are a ton of things that we can do. But if we stand around wondering where to start, it's never going to take off. So today, I'm giving you an opportunity for a starting point. God, don't even, don't even put Brandon in this. God is giving you an opportunity for a starting point. God has given you a place to draw that line in the sand and say, all right, it's time to cross. It's time to move in the direction that God wants us to go. And it may mean missing a couple of important engagements that you have with other friends that you've made so that you can be here. It may mean missing, you know, piano recital because you need to be at the church. It may mean that you can't go out to dinner three times a week because you're giving a little more money to God. It might mean that things that, that, that were normal and structured and perfect or perfect-ish in your life might get thrown a little out of whack. But is a God that we serve who sent his son to die on the cross not worth it? Here's your starting point. Here's my starting point. Because this is... Guys, I've got to learn it before I can teach it. And I'll be honest with you. I've been extremely convicted through this message in the past 36 hours. Extremely. To the point of tears. And that's why I knew it had, that God had this for somebody in this room. Is when I start reading this word and I start coming up with words to put on a page to bring to you guys and I get shivers all over my body from something that doesn't even draw an emotional response, I know that that's God leading me in a direction. That's God giving me a starting point. There's no other way to explain it. Here's our starting point. 